0: welcome to the sex and psychology podcast i am your host dr justin laymiller i am a social psychologist and research fellow at the kinsey institute and author of the book tell me what you want the science of sexual desire and how it can help you improve your sex life one of the most popular articles on my sex and psychology blog is about the psychology of facials and i'm not talking about the kind you pay for in a high-end spa Rather, I'm talking about the sexual kind where one person ejaculates on another person's face. This behavior is one of many kinds of performative sexuality that we often see in porn, and it has sparked a lot of debate because some people see this behavior as inherently degrading, especially when a woman is on the receiving end of it. When I wrote my blog post on this topic, there wasn't a lot of research to draw on, So when I saw that there was going to be a presentation on this precise topic at a recent sexuality research conference I was attending, I was really interested in learning about the results. So I've invited the author of that study to speak with me today. We're going to dive into the psychology of facials and of performative sexuality more broadly. We're going to explore how performative sex intersects with porn, sexual self-esteem, pleasure, and more. We're also going to discuss what to do when you feel constrained by performative expectations in the bedroom. I am joined today once again by Dr. Megan Moss, an assistant professor in human development and family studies at Michigan State University. Her award-winning research, recognized by the American Psychological Association and funded by the National Institutes of Health, focuses on media impacts on adolescents' sexual and mental health. She has been training teachers social workers, and school counselors on pornography use among teens for the last decade. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. Ohmygodyes.com is a website with findings from the largest ever research study into women's pleasure in partnership with Kinsey Institute researchers, tens of thousands of women were asked what made their pleasure better, both solo and with partners. And then they found the patterns in those discoveries and organized all of that wisdom on omgs.com in the form of super honest videos, animations, and how-tos. It's a fantastic resource that can help you to find new things you didn't even know that you or your partner liked. Visit omgs.com Justin to learn more and enjoy 33% off. This is also an incredible tool for therapists and clinicians to advance your knowledge and provide evidence-based care for your clients. It provides data that normalizes diverse experiences, a guide to varied pleasure techniques, and a framework for couples to explore their preferences. Clinicians and therapists can get a free personal membership by visiting omgs.com slash doctors. That's omgs.com slash doctors. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health, or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, FirmTechs is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. So Megan, in our previous conversation, we talked all about your research on slut pages, but that's just one of many forms of online sexual behavior that you've researched. So what I'd like to focus on in this episode is a study that I saw you present at a recent meeting of the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality, and that paper was all about performative sexual experiences, including how they're linked to pornography use. But before we dive into the results, let me first ask you to define performative sex. So what are we talking about here and what are some examples of it?
1: Yeah, so this was kind of a fun discussion that we had as a lab because we were trying to think of what do we call the things that we do that aren't directly related to orgasm, that have an element to them that is about pleasing either yourself or someone else visually, that could also be associated with some cultural factors And so we kind of gave this umbrella term performative sexual experiences to things like kissing or stripping in public, but in the context of like a party, not in the context of like your occupation. We thought about different behaviors that you might do in sex, noises that you could make, things like that. But then we also kept coming back to this phenomenon of what in porn are called facials or ejaculating on someone's face or other parts of their body, but intentionally ejaculating on a certain body part. Um, or intentionally having somebody ejaculate on your face or chest or breasts or what have you. And so we decided that that was a performative sexual experience as well. And so it's kind of a loose, big umbrella. (laughs) I'm sure there's hundreds of behaviors that we could put in that umbrella or under that umbrella, but those were a few we were initially investigating and then really focusing on the presentation of the external ejaculation or facials.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like performative sex is something that's just a little bit different from, you know, the behaviors you typically engage in with a partner to experience pleasure and reach orgasm, where there's this added element of visual or other sensory pleasure for, it could be other people who might be watching, if there's an audience or a crowd, or it could be for, you know, heightened arousal for your partner or for the self. So that phenomenon of facials, I think, is worth exploring in a little bit more detail because much has been said and written about facials in the popular media and a lot of it seems to take the view that this behavior is fundamentally about power and that there's necessarily some degrading element to it so for example my buddy dan savage uh, once wrote that facials are degrading and that's why they're so hot now logically i think some people might assume that if you want your face ejaculated on you might have lower self-esteem but 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 that's not what you found. So can you tell us a little bit about those results and how facials were related to people's sexual self-esteem?
1: Sure. Yeah. So we definitely found a gender difference or gender identity difference. We were looking, we were trying to look at some sexual identity differences as well. Because obviously, depending on whether or not you have a vulva or a penis And are you engaged in sexual activity with somebody who has a vulva or a penis? Like, who is ejaculating and that kind of thing? So there's a lot that we could disentangle in terms of, like, all the various different combinations of folks. But in general, we found that for men who engage more frequently in ejaculating on someone else's face, it doesn't matter the gender, they are higher in sexual esteem than men who do not, or who engage in less of that. And then for women, they are higher in sexual esteem if they engage in more of having someone else ejaculate on their face than women who engage in that less often. We thought that was an interesting finding, I guess for a number of reasons, but we were really interested in seeing, and that's why we were asking about subjectively positive or subjectively negative correlates of this kind of thing because there is a tendency to try to paint a negative brush stroke on any of this these types of things but we were really interested to see what are some potential positive correlates as well
0: so that is really interesting but one follow up question to that that I wanted to ask before we go on is what do you mean by sexual esteem so how is that measured
1: yeah, so sexual esteem is, I think it's a fascinating aspect of an umbrella of positive sexuality terms. So, a lot of times we hear about sexual agency, and this is sort of the idea that you are able to enact sexual experiences that you want to engage in. And that's really important. But when we think about how we think of ourselves as sexual human beings, That is an important, more holistic perspective of our own positive sexual selves. What I like to teach to undergrads and to high school students when I get the rare opportunity is that our sexuality, it's an identity, but it's also part of our own humanity and our experience with the world. And we can't separate our sexuality from our experience of the world we like to do that in our culture it's very compartmentalized we want to put sex under the rug or we want to act like it's this separate thing but it can very much be intrinsically intertwined with our occupation and our food preferences and clothing preferences and our ideas about the afterlife or, you know, our perspectives on family and friendship. And it can all sort of be intertwined. I mean, obviously in a playful, sometimes juxtaposed kind of way, but it's still a part of us. So sexual esteem really asks how do you perceive yourself as a sexual human being? It takes into account being worthy of pleasurable, safe experiences, but it also takes into account, do you think of yourself as a good partner? Are you able to give and receive pleasure? Do you feel like you're knowledgeable in this area? So very similar to global self-esteem or what we call in psychology, global self-esteem, just a general sense of positive feelings towards oneself but this would be you know this positive perspective towards your sexual self which we like to think of as like a holistic marker of well-being
0: so it sounds like it's tapping into sexual self-confidence and sexual empowerment in a lot of ways so people who are into giving and receiving facials seem to have a bit more of this uh, sexual self-confidence. Now, we know that facials have become ubiquitous in porn in the last few decades. You know, some people actually speculate that the increased popularity of facials in porn can actually be traced back to the initial outbreak of AIDS in the late 70s and early 80s and specifically it's thought that porn actors might have tried to mitigate the risk of exposure to HIV by taking ejaculation outside of the body but in doing so they might have unintentionally laid the basis for this huge interest we see today in facials. Now, you also looked at how porn use is linked to interest in both giving and receiving facials. So what did you find there? And how do you think that porn is shaping the way that people today approach sex?
1: Gosh, you know, I mean, I felt like we had to measure it because, yeah, we do have this sort of idea that facials come from the porn industry, And I have heard and read about the connection to AIDS and the emergence of the AIDS epidemic. And then also it was coined the money shot as in, this is something that's going to make us more money than if you didn't see the guy ejaculate if he ejaculated in, you know, a vagina or an anus or something or even inside of a mouth and you didn't see it. The seeing of the ejaculate was going to be this like awesome, exciting kind of money maker thing. Certainly you can't ignore porn, right? You know, there's some research that shows that for college students in particular, it's like the number one sex educator. The way I describe it is, you know, we don't tend to go around having sex in front of each other, (laughs) right? Like I can be a friend in front of you to my other friends. I can be an employee, you know, with my other employees. I can be a teacher. I can be a parent, a spouse in a public way. But like, we don't see each other have sex we see people have sex in porn. And so we are kind of, we're getting ideas from porn for sure because it's that's it's such a visual, exciting, arousing platform. So I just felt like we had to at least account for it. And of course, you know, people who watch more porn are engaging in more facials. But it's also like people who watch more porn are engaging in more sex in general, or certainly more diverse sexual behaviors and experiences. But as you know, there's always this chicken or egg issue. Is it watching more porn is making you do these things? Or are you just really interested in sex and Diverse sexual experiences. So, you know, you're also checking that out in porn. It's it's hard to separate, really disentangle those things.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's something I see in my own research where porn is both a reflection of our sexual interests. You know, we often seek out porn where we can vicariously live out our sexual fantasies but at the same time it's also shaping what might turn us on because we're exposed to new and different things while we're in this very heightened state of sexual arousal so it could very well be that interest in facials is driven partially by porn but also that people who are more interested in that are more likely to go and seek that out in pornography in the first place now related to this i I think i've mentioned on the show before but there's a study i'd love to run at some point which i informally call the where do you come study and basically (laughs) oh sign me
1: up we can do it together (laughs)
0: right i want to do it right so when people have sex how do they prefer for ejaculation to happen you know where do they want it and do they want to see it and I think you can also look at that in relation to people's personality and maybe their interest in BDSM and there are other sexual interests more broadly. I'm also interested in the same question when it comes to masturbation. Some people will ejaculate on themselves or even on their own faces. Other people do it on a towel or in a sock or in a condom, you know. And I would speculate that for some people, where they ejaculate might have to do with this visual appeal. You know, it could be part of that performative sexuality, whether for the self or for a partner you know and maybe it is for others more about kind of like the proof of sexual satisfaction that sort of money shot idea, you know that we really associate having this visual with having great pleasure or something but for other people it might also be about the physical sensation of it you know and how ejaculation feels on the skin and for other people you know it could really be about power so you know there could be a lot of different things that are driving this and i know it's just speculation but i'm curious as to whether or not you have any other thoughts on this
1: i can't help but continually just kind of go back to some like OCD germaphobe stuff, because, you know, there's just some people, and maybe this could be part of the study too. Some people just want to clean up like right after sex. They just got to clean it up. It's got to, you know, other people are fine to just bask in whatever mess is there. And some people really want to clean it up. So I keep thinking there's got to be some connection to that certainly people talk about the power thing. I think there is something very powerful, especially if you're standing over somebody, you know, if you're higher than they are and they're lower, um, if somebody is lower and asking you to come on their face and they're, they're literally lower to the ground, there's something kind of submissive about that. And obviously domination and submissiveness to some extent is just kind of always part of sex to a small degree, but What I found kind of weird is, and I I guess I shouldn't put a judgment on that. I don't find it weird. I find it fascinating, actually, is then what is the difference between ejaculating on the face, breasts, and then this kind of similar but distinct version of, of ejaculation, the cream pie, like wanting to see it in the vagina or in the anus. It's called breeding, this like you want to see the ejaculate in the person's vagina because then you're breeding with that usually it's an older man and a younger woman so that piece has got to be power that the needing to see it but then in the vagina like it's a breeding thing but then wanting to see it in the anus that's not breeding
0: but in the gay male community they do often refer to it as breeding oh when really there is oh, yes in the anus
1: when, okay yes
0: you know it's it's funny you're the second person in like the last two weeks who's had a shocked reaction to that because i actually got a call from a journalist recently who is writing a whole piece on breeding among heterosexuals and how it's like this new and emerging fetish in the post roe v wade world where you know because there's that heightened risk of pregnancy, and sex in a lot of ways is becoming more taboo because of these restrictions on sexual health care resources. I don't know to what extent that's true, but, you know, their hypothesis seemed to be that breeding is becoming more of a kink among heterosexuals due to the changing sexual landscape and so maybe facials are going to go out of popularity to some extent because there's this sort of fetishization with intravaginal ejaculation but as i mentioned you know this idea of breeding is something that is commonly used in the gay male community and you know it's been funny to watch some of the reactions on social media that some lgbtq folks are saying you know, it's kind of funny that heterosexuals are just now discovering this <laughs> <Of> because <course. laughs> it's been around for a long time. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, part of the value in being a sex researcher is just, you know, understanding all of these different forms of sexual diversity and what turns people on.
1: Yeah. And how it just varies depending on context. It's just different meaning too, you know. Um I'm trained as a developmental psychologist in some ways. I have interdisciplinary training in prevention science and media literacy and developmental psychology. And um, I'm a, a firm believer that the sexual experiences we have at 14, 15, 16 are just vastly different than those that we have in our 30s. And that a lot of the cultural context and the media context, the porn context, all of that really matters in a different way when you're sexually inexperienced and younger than it does when you're more sexually experienced and and older. And so in breeding cream pie, you know, that I think just holds a very different meaning, right? When it's like in the context of a gay couple or in the, you know, daddy-daughter porn world, obviously very different meanings than a heterosexual couple orgy porn or something it's just all very different right it's fascinating i this is why our jobs are just endlessly fascinating
0: yes absolutely and one other connection there with the breeding and cream pie is that it often coincides with other kinks and sexual interests you know for example one case where we hear a lot about cream pie is in the context of cuckolding where one person is watching their partner have sex with another person and oftentimes in cases where you have a male female couple and they're bringing in another man who has sex with a woman while the husband or boyfriend is watching oftentimes he will engage in this act of forced submissive bisexuality where after this third person has come in and ejaculated inside the female partner the male partner will then be forced to clean out the other person's ejaculate with their tongue, right? So, you know, it can kind of coincide with some of these other sexual interests as well. And so, you know, different people might be drawn to it for very different reasons. So, porn and sexual self-esteem may be some of the things that drive performative sexuality, but you also find that alcohol and drug use are associated with more performative sex as well. So let's talk about that for a moment. What did you find there and how does being in an altered state affect the way that people approach sex?
1: So alcohol myopia theory really suggests that Alcohol, and this could be true for other drugs as well, but certainly alcohol, it narrows our view, our scope of the world while we're inebriated. And that's why at smaller doses of alcohol, you know, things are more pleasurable because we're not worried about other things. You're just more able to sort of be in the moment. On the flip side of that, we also know that too much alcohol works as an analgesic, So it actually will numb us out to pain, which is great when we're in emotional pain or physical pain, a lot of alcohol can help in that situation to alleviate the pain temporarily. But what I like to talk um, with college students about in particular is that too much alcohol will actually make sex less pleasurable. So you might be more willing to engage in sex acts that you might not be willing to when you're uh, sober but it might be harder for you to have an orgasm or to even be aroused or maintain erections or lubrication and so alcohol isn't necessarily you know the best drug for sex but at small doses is when people tend to get the highest bang for their buck there's the diminishing returns after 0.08 blood alcohol content level That's when we're more likely to be embarrassed, certainly to engage in things non-consensually, have, you know, more physical issues with hangovers and things like that. But so I felt like we had to assess for some alcohol and or drug use, particularly because some of this, like we asked about, you know, same-sex kissing for others, as entertainment, that's a big feature of you know the party scene in college in particular, but certainly among other groups, and just knew that we we had to account for that. And sure enough, you know it is correlated: more performative experiences, more alcohol use uh, before sex, and and in general. So. This could just be them, that people who have the opportunity to engage in more performative sexual experiences are just more social. We know that people who are more, more social, particularly in college, have more access to alcohol. But this also means that, you know, for people who have more access to alcohol, they are at higher risk of engaging in, in things that they don't want to engage in. So it is also something to kind of consider in this context. But it also adds another fascinating layer onto sexual behaviors and experiences, obviously because of the consent issue, but just in general, what alcohol does for us is pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, so in a lot of ways, being inebriated or being high seems to bring out a lot of people's more exhibitionistic side, you know, when we're talking about this in the context of performative sex. And I suspect part of the reason for that is because many people just feel so sexually inhibited. And so when you have a substance that reduces those sexual inhibitions, it opens the door to engaging in more of this kind of performative sexuality or exhibitionistic kind of behavior that otherwise you just might feel way too socially inhibited to practice. Now, something else you found in your work, the one other angle you really explored here that I thought was particularly interesting was this link between prior experience with sexual victimization and performative sex. So what's that all about and what led you to look at this?
1: We were part of these discussions in our lab, like, why are we interested in same-sex kissing for entertainment? Why are we interested in making certain noises or even faking orgasms as a type of, of performative sex? Why are we interested in some of these things? And part of just being at an R1 institution, we're always thinking of ways that we can connect some of these, or I'm always trying to think of ways that I can connect some of the things that I'm interested in culturally to some health outcomes or to some sort of, you know, more global indicators of health and well-being. And so for sexual health, as you know, and for understanding sexual science, you know, one of the things that we do is understanding certainly sexual health, STI, and unwanted pregnancy prevention, but also sexual violence prevention. And so are some of these experiences Consistent with those who've also experienced sexual victimization or perpetration. Um, We weren't able to ask about perpetration in this particular study because of IRB reasons, but we did ask for victimization and we did find that for those who are getting their faces ejaculated on, that is associated with more sexual victimization or a higher likelihood of, of having a prior sexual victimization experience which is also pretty consistent with some other sexually submissive experiences that have been documented in prior literature. I think it's also really important to state that even if you are really interested in being tied up, spanked, ejaculated on, being sexually submissive, somebody who's interested in that It does not mean that they have been raped or experienced sexual assault at a point in their life or that there's something wrong with them, that they would like that kind of thing. But it is something to kind of be aware of when we've talked about, there's been, there's sort of an emerging line of work that's more qualitative that asks usually particularly heterosexual young women, like, why are you doing some of the things that you're doing? Because of the orgasm gap, you know, during hookups, heterosexual women are the least likely to experience an orgasm. And so some scholars have really gotten to this idea that of asking, particularly young women, but I think this could go to anybody, you know, we could ask this to of anyone is, are you doing this because you desire it, or are you doing this because you think it looks good? So Part of performative sex might be, oh, I really want to look good. I really want to please him. Or does this position look good? Or am I doing the right thing? Am I being like the hot porn girl? If you're doing it for those reasons, I suspect that there's not a whole lot of positive consequences you're going to have from that. I I expect that there's going to be some issues with that. That isn't to say that you can do these things and also have pleasurable sex, orgasms, safe sex, that kind of thing. But I think the next steps of this work, um, if we continue to do this work or if, if others are inspired to do it, would be to ask some motivations around, are you doing this because it's fun for you and, and you like letting go and being, you know, not being in charge or, or is it that you're just trying to make somebody else think you're hot or are you just reenacting what you're seeing in porn? Because there's a very different motivations for engaging in the same behavior.
0: Yeah. So many fascinating questions there. And just to add a couple of points to that. One thing I've seen in my research is that there is a small, but statistically significant link between prior experiences with sexual victimization and having a greater interest in BDSM. Does that mean that everyone who's into BDSM has a history of sexual victimization? No, but for some people, these things are tied together in a way. And I think it's really fascinating and and worth exploring to look at the ways in which experiences with victimization might shape our future sexuality and the way that we approach sex. And it's possible that, you know, some of this performative sex stuff might be part of that. And I think sort of unpacking what are the reasons behind that could be very interesting to explore and is it that for some of these individuals they have a harder time being in the moment and getting what they want out of sex and so performative sex might be a way of kind of covering up for some of those emotional issues or negative thoughts or associations they have with sex you know it it could be worth exploring that in more detail. But basically, you know, everything that we've talked about here suggests that performative sex is this very complex phenomenon. People might be into it for very different reasons. And you totally anticipated in your previous answer what my next question was going to be, which was whether performative sex is a good or bad thing, right? And, <laughs>
1: I knew you were going to ask.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think you, you, you kind of covered it well that if you're not really getting what you want out of sex, then that's a problem. But if you're enjoying yourself, having a good time, if this is mutually pleasurable, then hey, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame or judgment there. So, I guess one final question for you on this topic is, you know, let's say you're engaging in these performative sex acts, but it's not really what you want, right? And if you're feeling like you have this certain sexual script that you need to follow and that's constraining you and preventing you from exploring your own sexuality, or you feel like you're always performing for the benefit of your partner at the expense of your own pleasure, what can people who feel very constrained by performative expectations do to break free of them and get more of what they want out of sex?
1: I think part of it, so this might be an old school thought, you know, mindfulness in sex is sort of re-emerging as like as a new way to approach sex even though you know it's a very kind of old school way of of treating a lot of sexual issues right of sensate therapy you know the history of, of sensate therapy is really an old technique where you really just are focusing on what things feel like so uh you might start off really slow with You know, if you have a longer term partner, this is easier to do than if you have, you know, or if you have a reoccurring partner than if you tend to have sex more casually with people you don't know as well. But if you have a partner who you're feeling comfortable with and you know pretty well, it seems like people have some success with really slowing down and kind of just rewinding and just saying, hey, let's just have some practice sex as if we just haven't had sex before where it's okay to narrate it while you're doing it. So, you know, touching somebody, you know, so some sex educators, we call this the this or that game where, you know, you're like, do you like it when I stroke your arm or when I rub it in circles? Do you like breath on your neck or do you like kisses or bites on your neck? And with the goal that we're not focused on orgasm. So we're just kind of seeing what each other likes, what they like to feel like. And that can help people kind of get in their bodies and kind of get a sense of, of what really feels good instead of thinking like, what do my boobs look like in this position or what, you know, or like... What do my balls look like when I'm on top of him like this? You know, like instead of thinking about those things, you're really kind of getting in your own body. I think it's harder to do with a casual partner that you've just met. I don't know how you would say like, hey, can we just do this, this or that game? <laughs> Um, but if you do have a, a reoccurring partner, maybe bringing it back to that, usually I think what people find is that when they do that, they end up having amazing orgasms anyways, because they're almost like, because orgasm was off the table and they're just focusing on what things feel like you can get really connected with each other. So I would say in the most practical applied advice, that would be the advice that I have in terms of of something to try to really just kind of see what you like that feels good to your body. It isn't necessarily something that just looks really good on screen. So, you know, you're wanting to to emulate that in real life because we do know that a lot of the stuff that's fun to watch in porn is not so fun to do (laughs) in person or is it might not be as comfortable to do in person or might not feel as great. So just because it looks good on screen doesn't mean it's going to feel good in person like that so bringing it back to what really feels what your body's really feeling i think can help
0: yeah and so much of what we see in porn it's just not practical for a lot of us because we aren't that flexible sure we're not that flexible and
1: you know and it's like and it's not that there's anything wrong with it it's just that it's something that you might not expect in your own life or that you shouldn't expect from a partner or Or maybe something to expect from a partner a couple times a year, but people might not be into doing that thing every week, you know.
0: Yep. So I love your advice, you know, try narrating your sex and (laughs) hone in on what it is that really brings you and your partner pleasure. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Megan. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah.
1: So you could go to MeganMoz.com. That's my website and you can sign up for my mailing list there. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Megan K. Moz. I'm happy to answer emails or, or what have you. And it's always such a pleasure to talk to you, Justin. I'm so glad we were able to connect and thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, sexandpsychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.